the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Stay up on all our stuff. It's great to be together. Uh, Another interesting week. Lots happening all across America. There'll be politics and campaigns. Liz Cheney will stand for uh, re-election in the primary in Wyoming this week. That should be the results look like she's going to lose what she deserves to lose. Uh, Meanwhile, the in Washington D.C., most of the Congress, uh, uh, most of the members, they're they're not in session, so most of the members uh, hightail at home. Many of them have re-election campaigns. All the House members do, of course as well as many senators. And so it's kind of quiet in the swamp, but that doesn't stop the uh, massive regulatory state to continue, uh, which is happening all over the place. There's lots to talk about about that. But um, also we're starting to see the contours of the uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And we're starting to see, as I predicted last week, uh, that there will be a um, this is another hoax. This is another hoax. And the and one of the details about the hoax in the the way these hoaxes are run, whether it's the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation, which was confidential while the Mueller report was ongoing. So you could have leaks and you could have claims by people like Adam Schiff and others. Uh, Congressman, he would say, I've seen the uh, top secret. I've seen the classified material. And, oh, it's just really bad. It's going to be bad. And then no one can refute it because you can't cite uh, classified material to refute it. So it was, it was a part of the part of the hoax is to have stuff that you can't deny. And so we have already Adam Schiff is saying, oh, yeah, we got to look at the national security classified material. Even Marco Rubio. And fell for it with Senator Mark Warner. Those two are on the Intelligence Committee of the Senate. One Democrat, Warner, one Republican, Rubio. And they sent a joint letter that said, can you please tell us what is going on with the Mar-a-Lago stuff? What's with the documents that were seized? We know it will be classified so you don't have to do it publicly. It can be private. And you know what that means, of course, is that they're going to do that privately and we won't see it. And so you'll have Mark Warner will say, oh, boy, it looks really bad. And Marco Rubio will probably say, well, I can't say much because I can't. I'm not allowed to. You see the game? It's a game. It's the hoax game. They did it with Russia, Russia, Russia masterfully. They do the same thing with January 6th. 14,000 hours of videotape being held back by the, uh, the police and the law enforcement. Because why? Because they say it's classified. And so we don't get to know. But meanwhile, they can say, oh, there was terrible things going on. Watch this snippet. Watch that snippet. It's terrible stuff. All right. So but here's what you need to know today. We're watching an incredible effort to reframe words with new meaning and reframe truths with new meaning. And it's being it's being done right in front of our faces. And you sort of have to shake your head and and try to shake off the cobwebs and understand it. And so here, but here's a quote I want to give you. And I'm reminded of this. We're going to talk in a few moments with Jack Posobiec. Jack Posobiec has been put on a a list of people that should not be listened to because he used the word groomer 
And he and 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 the LGBT community in England has complained that that is bigoted and therefore he's on some sort of list to be censored. And he said, I'm just using the term groomer for people that are trying to take advantage of kids, which is a term that's existed. And he's saying it's the the, the English group is saying it's offensive to the LGBT community. And his, his answer, which we'll ask him is, wait a second, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about groomers, but here's the, here's I, I want to dig up for you a, a, a phrase, a quote, a, a series of sentences from a famous famous British reporter and a public figure. His name is Malcolm Muggridge. You may not have heard that much about him. He's died in 1990. He had a long life. He lived into his 80s, I think, and he was a famous uh, uh, libertine wild character in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, kind of a young star reporter who went wild. It was a wild character. And in the early 70s, he converted to Christianity and ultimately to Catholicism. And one of the people who was influential was a little nun in India in the in the in the in the gutters in the in the slums of Calcutta named Mother Teresa and he actually because he was a journalist he was a, mostly a writer before but then he became a, a TV presenter as they say and he did documentaries on Mother Teresa and he is credited with being one of the people that made her very famous he was an intellectual guy i think he studied at oxbridge you know either oxford or cambridge but here's a quote he said in the beginning was the word. I mentioned he was a Christian. In the beginning it was the word. And this is he was he was talking about John's gospel beginning with the phrase, in the beginning it was the word. And one of the things that appalls me, Muggridge, and saddens me about the world today is the condition of words. He went on to say he was his whole career was about words as a writer. Words can be polluted even more dramatically and drastically than rivers and land and sea. There has been a terrible destruction of words in our time. Now, that's Malcolm Muggridge talking in 1980. What would he say today? Not only do we have a situation where the Biden administration says, I'll redefine the word recession, or I will redefine the word raid, or we'll, we'll, we'll change the words on groomer. I guess oh, that's not the Biden administration. But also it's a redefinition of truths about America. It's a, it's exactly it's a kind of if if the if the um, destruction of words started in this time or was Malcolm Muggeridge was describing it back then. Can you imagine what what it's like and what it means uh, to see it today? Because it's not just happening uh, in terms of the um, in terms of the the single words, but like phrases due process due process is being denied to the lots of people and it's it's being denied because why because they know better the news the word the news used to mean that people tried to get facts and present them as facts they don't even bother now as someone else pointed out why isn't the number one question asked about the mar-a-lago raid who packed the boxes you know, who put the stuff in the boxes? Isn't that something somebody should know? We don't even know any facts. All we're told is there was possibly, maybe, documents related to national security or related to nuclear secrets. What's related to mean? Again, that's not the news. That's not real news. That's not facts that are then analyzed. It's arguments being made and presented as facts. Elections. The election integrity question. You're not allowed to ask about the 2020 election because it's been deemed by 
I don't know who the, 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 the powers that be that there was no problem. There were no problems, even though every other election has been confronted and, 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 and uh, understood to have problems. But back to my point, we're watching. It's intentional. Malcolm Muggeridge goes on when he's talking about the word, the word at the, in the beginning was the word. It is intentional to corrupt the meanings of word, to convert the meaning. Oh, by the way, a, a marriage they changed the, the, not just the definition, they changed the word, what the word means. You know, it, it, there's no sacramental, there's no uh, procreative, pro- procreative part of it. It just has to be defined the way we're told. The, the changing of words, and of course Orwell referenced it, and people always throw that back. But what you need to know is it's happening in front of our eyes. It's happening in front of our eyes, and it happens in sort of warp speed now. And so that words have no meaning. Inflation. The, 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 the uh, Inflation Reduction Act has now been said. Everybody agrees it didn't reduce anything. And yet they say it with a straight face and they say something like, yes, but if if possibly this, that and the other thing, then it might reduce inflation. If words it's not that words don't have meaning, that's the wrong thing to understand. What you need to know is words the meaning of, of words is changing, being changed intentionally, intentionally to undermine understanding, to undermine truth. That's happening all around us. And if you have the courage, I mean, <laughs> Matt Walsh went out and did a whole documentary on, you know, what's, what does a woman mean? That's another one. If you gut the meaning of words, if you change the meaning of words, Again, it's not that words don't have meaning. It's they have other meaning. It it, it means something else. It pulls you from the truth. And ultimately, it leads to, as Malcolm Muggeridge said, destruction. It's not just the destruction of the words. It's destruction of the people living together. And one great example is the word nation. Nationalism. That word has been changed. That's it's becoming a word of bigotry instead of a word of togetherness, connectedness. All right, we got to take a break. That's all I got for now. What's what you need to know? Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for our daily email. We'll be back. We got a great show. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Jack Posobiec. Jack Posobiec, it used to be, Jack, that people uh, noticed you and generally attacked you, liberals, um, uh, on Twitter, otherwise, in America. Now, I guess you're being attacked all over the world. I mean, this is quite an improvement, I guess. It's been been a a breakout uh, international year for me. And, uh, you know, whether it's being, you know, going to Davos and being detained on site by Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Uh, agents at the, the World Economic Forum police um, or whether it's been this this latest one is you got this UK group that's going after. And that, no, I should say this one's not just me, but they're going after me. They're going after lives at TikTok, uh, Congresswoman um, Warren Bober, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, all these people. And they said, well, I said, oh, what did I do this time? What did I do this time? And they said, well, you use the word groomer. And I said, but I used it accurately. And they said, well, use the br- word groomer, and that's a slur. I said, what, against groomers? 
<laughs> and I said, no. They said, no, it's, it's a slur against the LGBT community. And then I'm sitting there saying, hold on, hold on, wait. Are, are you guys saying that those people are part of the community? Because I don't, I don't think that's what they want to hear. Um, and they're saying, no, no it, they've made this twisted, convoluted argument uh, surrounding the entire thing. And then they put myself on a list. They put lives of TikTok, all these others. And this is the same group, by the way, uh, Dr. James Lindsay, same group that was behind, um, you know, getting Katie Hopkins banned and a few other people right. banned on right. various parts of social media. And what I think what I think has happened, though, is just like anything else with these organizations, they start out maybe years and years in the past and they actually focus on one, you know, one or two instances of, of something that is legitimate. And then they start getting money, they start getting notoriety. And so they have to start moving the chains and they have to start changing the meanings of words and ascribing feelings. Why? Because you get money because there's yeah. a financial incentive behind it. It's kind of like the innocence project uh, is, is a scam that used to do that because they used to, when they got started, if you remember the innocence project, yeah, used to course. always focus on people who had not been given DNA tests and then going back with, to these murder suspects or, or people who are convicted of murder, I guess, and then getting the DNA test run and trying to see if they could if they could get anybody off. Well, they don't do that anymore, though. Now they focus on people, even when the DNA is, you know, it lines up and confirmed and everything else, they'll still go after it. It's uh, so we're talking about some, yeah, yeah. some, some well, divisive narrative, some race well, narrative, whatever they can do, get a Netflix series out of it, get Kardashians <laughs> involved. You know how it goes. It's a business. It's become a business model. Well, and, and you know, um, it's uh, ACLU is another example, right? I mean, the ACLU. I, yeah, I didn't ACLU, like, I, Media Matters, right. ADL, all these yeah. different things. All these different ones. All right. Hey, I got to give you a quote. I was telling you off the air uh, so you can throw it back in the in the British uh, into their face. Malcolm Mugridge, who was a famous convert from being a libertine uh, journalist to being a very devout Catholic. He did a lot of stuff. He was one of the guys famously uh, who did filming of Mother Teresa in the ghettos of, of, oh, wow. uh, of Calcutta and got fame. But here's his quote. He gave a famous speech. He gave, I think, a pretty famous speech. Uh, and he says this in the beginning was the word. And one of the things that appalls me, Malcolm Muggridge, and saddens me about the world today is the condition of words. Watch this, Jack Posobiec. Uh, words can be polluted even more dramatically and drastically than rivers and land and sea. There has been a lot of there's been a terrible destruction of words in our time. I mean, it's perfect. Whether you take recession and change the definition, you could take raid and change the definition. You could take groomer. You could take, change it all. And once no, you wait, got- wait, wait, no, when did, when did he write this? He wrote this like last week, right? No, no, <laughs> no 1981. I think it was 1981. 1981. Yeah, wow. Can you imagine what wow. he's, he's dead now? What he's doing now, by the way, at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. He called the following. shot. I mean, he's like Orwell called the shot. <laughs> exactly. All right. Speaking of that. Now, I've never been to Mar-a-Lago, but I think you have. Um, I have. Yes. And so. What's I mean, what's your thoughts? I mean, I was the one that was stealing all the boxes in the nuclear. code. got them out before the feds could get there. I thought you you can edit this, right? (laughs) I thought you I I was it was reported to me that when Trump was getting out of the White House, he said, I want to pack up all the boxes. Call Posobiec. He can pack the boxes. That's what I I thought you were the guy that put everything in there. No, huh? No, I will see. They they couldn't find it because I actually I got it. We we brought it all down. We've got it in my in a safe bunker, taking it to Guantanamo. You know, all the rest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've already said too much. What 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 happens next? Well, I think, unfortunately, um, for the country is that 
you know, there's two directions we can go in. And this is a very explosive situation. People are rightfully very, very upset about this. I mean, breaking into a former president's private residence. I mean, it's, it's something that's no, by the way, if you, if you lived in uh, any of the post-Soviet countries or Cuba, Venezuela, you know, parts of South America, parts of the Middle East, you know, this is normal. This is routine business. This is, oh yeah, we know what part comes next after this. Then they go, then they arrest the guy and they haul him off in chains. Right. Right. You know, and then they go after his supporters and his inner circle, et cetera, et cetera. That's how the third world and banana republics, that's how they work. That's normal. This is not how the United States is supposed to work. And so you're Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, you know, you're looking at that, at us going, well, this is the perfect time to strike. This is the perfect time to go, you know, take some more Ukraine, go for Taiwan. I mean, why wouldn't you? Uh, right. This is the exact time when America is weak and we're too busy fi- apparently fighting uh, these squabbles out internally rather than actually focused on national security or, you know, protecting our allies or working to provide for more of, of that world peace that we always seem to, you know, be talking about. So, the president came out this morning, I should say President Trump came out this morning and said that he hopes that we can start to turn down the temperature a little bit. And mm. he, he said very clearly to look to Garland that what he did was extremely over the line, but he wants to work together and see if they, find, they can find a way to turn down the temperature. And I think that's good for the moment. However, I also see that Mike Davis and others coming out there, Bannon, and I, I said this uh, last week as well, that if the Republicans want to win Congress, they now have a cause. And that cause, because there's been this sort of thing that the Republicans are just running because they're better than the left. They're better than Joe Biden. Biden sucks. His economy sucks. His policies are insane. His foreign policy is, you know, in tatters. OK, but what are the Republicans for? Now we can actually point to something. The positive impeachment of Merrick Garland getting to the bottom of all of this. And then beginning the dismantling. And here's the thing. Impeaching Garland is not about one. They can replace Garland. It's not about Garland. It's about digging through the investigation of the administrative state. Because you have to dismantle the administrative state in this country, which has become a fourth branch of government. This is not what our founders envisioned. This is why the Constitution isn't functioning. Because you have this bureaucratic layer gumming up everything that Wilson uh, envisioned, and then FDR got involved and was building it up, LBJ was building it up, and then Clinton super expanded, they supercharged the whole thing in the 1990s. That's why we have this bureaucracy that seems to control everything. And when you, you know, you elect different people as president, or even many times the senators in Congress don't even seem to be the ones actually making the decision. This is why things don't change that much. You have to actually target the administrative state. And that's what the impeachment of Garland is all about. Going for that impeachment, but then actually moving forward for a full investigation audit, and then leading, which leads you to Schedule F. And Schedule F is the ability, by the way, we we were joking about this on Tim Pool the other night. Uh, You want to fund the entire federal government and and pay down the debt, it's simple. Reelect Trump and then have him fire public these uh, these you know, bureaucrats and, and then charge admission to watch it like some kind of reality show. <laughs> Start at the SES level and work your way down the GS ladder. Yeah, we pay off the debt in a year. 
Trump would love that, actually, the the, uh, the uh, reality TV. Um, but but we're talking with Jack Posobiec uh, and uh, Jack. Real quick, I'm going to lose you in time wise at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. Uh, the, it, it must even I mean, you're a good sport. And I mean that I don't mean that as trite as it sounds. You know, you're you sort of take the the game uh, that's serious and deadly and you have a sense of joy. It's a lot like the late Phyllis Schlafly, by the way, whose birthday is today. Um, her She would have uh, been uh, 98 today if she were still alive. But um, God bless but, her. Yeah. But and she did. She did like you. She said the rosary every day. And so now saying the rosary makes you a white nationalist. I, I thought you were a white nationalist without having to say the rosary, Jack. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you're a white nationalist. You're extremist. You're violent. You're you're all these things. As of what I you know, what do we do now? They said saying the rosary makes you an extremist. And you know what? You know what, Ed? You're okay with it. If that. we live in a society that views saying the rosary and getting down with your family, linking hands, and praying to God, praying to the Holy Family, praying, praying to Holy Mother as extreme, then yes, I gladly accept being called an extremist by that bunch of degenerates. Yeah. Well, except, again, what they're trying to do is, you know, it's they're trying to do. Uh, something to change the definition of the word, change the definition. Well, maybe change the definition of you uh, to make you toxic. I mean, that's the, the problem. But I, I all right, Jack Posobiec, I got to run. You do too. At Jack Posobiec, thank you for coming on. Uh, keep up the good fight. I'll send you that quote that we were just talking about earlier so you can put it into your arsenal uh, for uh, the Brits when they come uh, for you. Appreciate it, Jack. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. And just to let you know, we're on at uh, 10 p.m. Rav every night now on uh, Human Events Daily, Real, Real America's Voice. Good, good deal. We'll put it up on social media, too. Thank you. Jack Posobiec, everybody. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I mentioned earlier my old friend Bill Hennessy of St. Louis. He was one of the St. Louis Tea Party founders. He really was, in many ways, he was the driving force. There was other people around him, but he had this sort of vision and it worked really well. And now I don't know what he would call this next movement, although he's being attacked for it. He uh, he over the weekend, as I mentioned, he had some folks get together uh, peacefully in front of the FBI headquarters in St. Louis and and um, and make a point about distrust and concern about what's going on. So, first of all, uh, welcome Bill Hennessy back. How are you? Great, Ed. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Uh, so, Bill, um, back in the day, 2010, 2009, nine. I guess nine. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you you would have said, I think you were a novice. You know, you really didn't know what you were doing in terms of organizing. And there were there were rallies that had thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people showing up uh, all over the place by the time you were done. Now you know what you're doing. Um, what's the most important lesson that you learned over the years in terms of trying to make a point? Because uh, let me say this way. I saw maybe a couple hundred people. You'll tell me the number. But I think you probably got more national attention than any of the things we did in the past in St. Louis. So what'd you learn? Well, I, I honestly, I think the part of it is knowing um, which, which battles to fight, right? Right. Um, I, I think uh, one of the mistakes that we made early on in the Tea Party movement was that we were going after everything, and um, uh, you know, it, it was just kind of scattered, yeah. right? And so mm-hmm. we had a lot of people with a lot of different interests, and we tried to follow them all. Um, and I think with uh, what's going on now. People are very focused on on this. In, and I, I tried to point this out, especially with the media yesterday. 
um, we have to have faith in law enforcement, just as we have to have faith that if we call the fire department, that they're going to show up and, and they're going to do it, do a good job. And right now we have a huge faction of America that doesn't uh, trust the federal police. We also have, you know, uh, to, to balance that in many areas, we have uh, uh, groups of people who don't trust the local police. Well, that creates an incredible amount of problems for society because crimes that should be reported aren't. People start taking matters into their own hands. People get frustrated and frightened and they start doing crazy things. And we need to channel that using the tools that we have we've have in a republic in uh, uh, democracy where people get to uh, choose, choose their leaders. We have to use those tools to uh, win back the trust in in both federal and lo- local law enforcement. Right now, the federal is what scares me, though, because it has uh, influence over our power over every one of us. You know, it's not it's not like I can move from uh, St. Louis County to Franklin County and get away from from right. problems with the with, with the local community. It is the entire country falls under the jurisdiction of the DOJ and FBI, and they have to be trusted. Uh, we're talking with Bill Hennessy and Bill Hennessy, one of the founders of the uh, original St. Louis Tea Party. He, along with Jim Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, uh, also a founder of the St. Louis Tea Party. I was involved, too. But the two of them hosted a, an event on Sunday in St. Louis in front of the FBI headquarters. Uh, Bill, different part of this question. When you did this this time, um, you were a target uh, of of vitriol let's say that and be careful to be respectful i mean i don't know you might you probably did get threats but i mean people came after you on twitter and facebook and all i mean all social media that didn't happen in 2009 it didn't exist in the same way what's that like how does that how do you process that i really don't pay much attention to it um to, to be honest yeah. uh it's, it's I'll let it go i i believe that what i'm doing is right and for the right reasons and with the right message um and if people want to get upset about that that's that, that's their problem to deal with um you know i put my trust in the lord and um and i don't do this much anymore you know uh, i yeah. uh, basically i was I, I was out of this uh business for about six years and um I wouldn't go uh, go back into it if I didn't if I didn't have a, a strong degree of conviction that it needs to be done and that for some reason I have uh, uh, you know some God has graced me with some ability to do these things yeah. uh, and and you know like I, I I told the press you know in the the seven eight years of uh, being very active with the with the Tea Party we we never really had, had an incident our people are are good people they. Um, uh, they leave the place better than they found it. Whenever we have an event like that, yesterday we we carried out a couple of bags of uh, uh, trash that was there before we got there. Uh, although the spot was incredibly clean, but for considering the location and construction going on, but we, uh, we always uh, uh, we always try to do do what's right. And if that upsets people, um, that, that's on them. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, with Bill Hennessy um, and organized a rally. I say, what do you think of the response, Bill? And may say it differently in the two in the Tea Party era, people didn't um, were not reticent to come out. They just they were fed up. They were concerned. There was an energy there. It was sort of mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't see on the ground in, in St. Louis. What was the response like? What are, are, and I guess I'm leading the the witness, but do you think some people are less comfortable coming out to something because of the cost? Oh, a- absolutely. I got um, 
uh, numerous messages from old Tea Party friends who were at every event uh, asking me not to do it, saying it's too too dangerous, that, uh, you know, it's going to be there's going to be saboteurs and provocateurs and um, and all, all kinds of, uh, of, of bad things are going to happen if we if we do this. Uh, and I talked to Jim Hoff about it. I actually got uh, some people from St. Louis. I guess I wasn't responding quickly enough. They, they contacted Gina Loudon and asked her to call me and, and, and asked me to, to, to stop it. But um, the, in the end, it was, it was the right thing to do. And, and, and even more so because of that response. Because if people are that afraid of the DOJ and the FBI, people who have done absolutely nothing wrong, they're, if they're so afraid that exercising the First Amendment will um, cause bad things to happen to them at the hands of, of federal law enforcement, then somebody has to uh, raise their voice to that. And and frankly, I don't think I don't expect any uh, uh, repercussions. We we did what we are constitutionally um, uh, permitted to do under the uh, under the First Amendment and morally bound to do, which is to uh, redress government for uh, or uh, petition government for redress of grievances when the government is in the wrong. Uh, Bill Hennessy, again, is our guest. Bill, different than the last time they came up with a name for you. I, th- I got did I get it right? They were calling you. First of all, somebody said you're having the rosary involved was a weapon. You were somehow armed, which I think you embraced. But also, is it do they call you a Christian nationalist or a white nationalist or both? It's a Christian nationalism. But then <laughs> that's the, that's the name. They threw, me- yeah, that's the name they threw at you, right? Yeah, that it's uh, it, it, it. I had never heard of the the term before, and then lo and behold, uh, uh, writer in the Atlantic is talking about the the rosary as the symbol of of Christian nationalism, and and apparently we view the uh, I, I don't know. It is the most confused thing I've ever seen by a, a writer who clearly doesn't know very much about uh, Catholicism. Um, and I think it's just an attempt, you know, to take anything that we try to do and make it uh, appear evil. One of the one of the ways, according to, you know, I, I study a lot of demonology, uh, according to exorcists and demonologists, uh, just one of the principles of demons is inversion. They take what's good and try to make it bad and take what's mm. bad and try to make it good. I think this is just a, a clear example. And again, I don't pay a lot of attention to it. It, it makes for a good uh, blog post. But right. um, it, 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 maybe I'm foolish, but I, I don't let that bother me. I just try to, to look at what's right and, and march toward it. Uh, we're talking again with Bill Hennessy. Um, Bill, do you, what do you think? Uh, I mean, again, you've you've been writing. If you, you blog uh, and write, and you send out emails um, with your writing, um, what, I've I've seen you. Well, I've read your stuff where you've said, Wait, "Look, we're at just we're past a turning point. You're not you're not turning this around." But the way you approach these things, like you did on Sunday, it sounds like somebody that's trying, as you said, to redress things. It believes it's possible to turn it around. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Chesterton, who was always talking about uh, hope doesn't really matter until it's hopeless. Uh, and <laughs> I, I wow. right, the uh, it's, it's great to be hopeful on, on on day one of the baseball season. When you get to September, it's a different story. <laughs> so right. um, the uh, and I think it's the same thing here. Yes, I think all of you know if you look at history, America is in a very very bad spot. It's very difficult to. 
the, 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 the size of the chasm between uh, the two big factions in the, in the United States is, is very difficult to um, to fill. But the only way that I know to fill it is to go back to practice the the, the behaviors and the uh, uh, philosophy that founded the country in the first place. And maybe people will pull back from the abyss at some point, but we're not going to do it by continuing what we've been doing. We're, we're going to have to either uh, come up with something completely new, which people really aren't very good at, or looking back to uh, to our ancestors and see how how they uh, got through moments in history like like this, or didn't, and then don't repeat what they what they tried, yeah. right? But um, I think there's the the wisdom of the ancients is in demand today more than ever before. I like that quote. Uh, say, say it again. Chesterton said, uh, "Hope doesn't really matter until you're until it's hopeless." Is that what it was? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's just good. a sentiment until it's, it's hopeless. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, Bill Hennessy, thanks for taking some time out of your day to catch up. We'll do it again sometime soon. I think it's better for America and certainly for St. Louis that you are out there uh, helping get your voice heard and other people's too. So, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. You can uh, check in, listen to this uh, interview again, and all the accompanying documentation. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, August 15th is the anniversary of the birth of Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, who had such an extraordinary life. So I every August I build up and I mark it, and I thought I'd spend a couple minutes talking about her. She was born in 1924. So 98 years ago, uh, she, would be, she would have celebrated her 98th birthday this year. She died in 2016. Uh, just a few weeks after her birthday and a few weeks before her last endorsement for uh, an office, uh, Donald Trump won the presidency. And she was an extraordinary lady. Um, I, I was intrigued and, and I was reminded of something she often said when I read an article. Serena Williams has retired um, from the uh, sport of tennis. She's had so much success, one of the greatest all-time players in any sport, uh, and in tennis, she and her sister, but Serena's been extraordinary. She's retiring, and she's in her early 40s, and she said she's retiring because she wants to give her daughter uh, the chance to be a big sister. In other words, she wants to have another child, and she's in her early 40s, and she needs to go do that, she said. And so she wrote a sort of farewell piece, and she kind of complained. I think the media is making it into a complaint, but she's kind of complaining that she has to quit sports at the highest level in order to go have a family. And I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think I agree. I mean, I don't know how much longer she could have played at the top level. I, I guess she alluded to Tom Brady and he kept playing. And, uh, but be that as it may, good for her that she's actually saying out loud she wants to go and have another child and have a family. Uh, I think it's really cool. But what I was reminded of is the late Phyllis Schlafly. I've heard, I heard her say it once. If I heard her say it once, I heard her say it. 25 times, she would say with a big smile, I had it all, just not all at once. And what she meant by that is if you look at her extraordinary career, she was born uh, into a family that soon after her birth in the first five or six years of her life, the depression hit America and her own family suffered. She had one sister 
And her and her mother and father, her father lost his job. He was kind of an, he was an engineer uh, of sorts and never really got a great, you know, sort of career job back in her whole childhood. And so she was born and, and lived through the depression, uh, put herself through school. She started out on a scholarship in college um, at, um, at a uh, Mary, uh, at a, a Christian university, a Catholic university, I guess it was called Maryville. Uh, it's called Maryville now. I don't know if it was called Maryville at the time. She, she stayed two years and transferred into Washington University, graduated with honors. All the time that she was going to school at WashU, she was um, also uh, working. And she was working as a, uh, an artillery tester, an ammunition tester in North St. Louis because the war was on. And um, I once asked her, I said, Phyllis, did you um, work at, at, at night or did you work in the, uh, I mean, did you work the uh, shifts? Did you take night classes? And she said, no, no, I worked at night so that I could be just like every other student. She said, so I either worked four till midnight or midnight till eight and I'd rush off to school. She said, I didn't want to look any different than any other kids. And she didn't. And then she um, went off and did a graduate degree at Harvard. She was recruited to do uh, graduate school at, at Washington University in Harvard. She did a degree there, went to Washington for six months as like one of the fourth or fifth employees at the AEI, American Enterprise Institute, and then came home to St. Louis. And in her 20s, she ran a campaign as the campaign manager for a guy running for Congress. He won. Um, And soon after, she was this exceptionally bright, talented lady. She was writing newsletters for a bank. She was an author. She was writer. Her whole life, she was a writer. And she was authoring these newsletters for a bank. And someone who was getting these newsletters, a a lawyer, and a businessman uh, named uh, Fred Schlafly, uh, came into the bank and said, who wrote this? I want to meet the person who wrote this. And it was this woman. And they ended up dating and marrying. And they had six children. She ended up when she died, she had 17 grandchildren. I think that's the right number. She wrote bestsellers uh, all across the decades. Uh, she wrote, I think, almost 30 books, maybe 32 books, hundreds and hundreds of columns, thousands and thousands of hours of radio and TV. She was famous across the nation for beating the ERA. She was considered a candidate, a, a successful candidate. She didn't win her races, but she was widely um, respected for her politics. She ran for office twice. Um, she was a, a vice chair of the uh, Federated Republican Federated Women of the of the nation. Hugely, hugely prominent in national defense as a writer, and then in the pro family movement. And all the while, just a happy warrior, an amazing lady of faith. And um, and she just saw so many things different than other people. She saw the problem of education and the problem of reading and phonics, the need to do phonics ahead of other people. And she wrote a book about it. Um, she saw the need for nonprofit work to both do politics and do the nonprofit education. She sort of pioneered the idea of having a, a think tank next to a political action committee. She saw in the corruption of the globalist agenda, uh, the problem of the Republican Party. And she launched Goldwater, which launched Reagan, which led to Reagan as president. She saw Trump. And and for the 20, last 25 years of her, her life, she was talking about the problem of immigration, of these inter- multilateral trade deals, all these things she saw ahead of other people. And again, she was a happy warrior. And she used to say that she wasn't great at some of these things. She just practiced, whether it was writing, speaking, leading. She just believed ultimately that anything was possible, particularly particularly in America. That's what she really believed in. And she was extraordinary. 
and she loved chocolate, loved chocolate cake. Um, in the last year, years of her life, we used to go to some meetings and I'd bring her these chocolate malt balls that she liked her chocolate. I don't know what they were called, but she loved them. And uh, she just was great fun and a great lady and one of the smartest people I've ever met. And maybe more importantly, one of the great judges, great judgment on what was going on in the country uh, and what was happening in America, which she loved so much. So I wish I could see her again to ask her advice and all, but I, I know she's in a better place. And I just say, uh, thank God, America turns out people like Phyllis Schlafly um, and has uh, great citizens because it makes a massive difference in how uh, well our nation works. So happy birthday to Phyllis Schlafly. And I hope you get a chance. If you if you haven't had a chance to read about her, one of the best biographies is called The Sweetheart of the Silent Majority uh, by Carol uh, Felsenthal. Uh, Felsenthal is F-E-L-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Happy birthday, Phyllis. I will take, uh, we'll be uh, back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'll talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.